0: We're going to continue our look at the book of Ephesians. So I invite you to turn to chapter 4. And we're going to read, beginning in verse 17, the rest of the chapter. So beginning in verse 17, hear the Word of God. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let us each speak truth with his neighbor... For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. You know, uh, uh, this month is the fourth anniversary of... Uh, I was diagnosed with stage 3 uh, thyroid cancer four years ago. And so each year as I come up to this anniversary, I think about all of the ways that my, my life uh, changed. Uh, one of the ways is my doctor told me you either walk or die I have to go exercise and so I bought shoes and I took off and I always enjoyed exercising but I was never very consistent and I had to start walking and uh, I, I still walk today I put in sometimes as much as 20-30 miles a week and I enjoy it very much uh, but when you're walking it depends on where you walk as to how safe you are. And one of the routes that I take is down uh, Mesita Street by UTEP, and I cross at Sunbowl Drive Drive, Mesa Street, and then I walk all the way around UTEP and through the campus and back uh, on University Street, crossing Mesa Street once again, and then back through Rim Road and the neighborhoods back there. Well, it's all safe in the neighborhoods. The two problems are crossing Mesa Street. When you get to those streets, six lanes and cars, uh, I may have been better off if I had died of cancer uh, than to uh, encounter that. So I don't go very often, but when I do go, you know, you go to the intersection, there's walk, don't walk, walk, don't walk. And, And let me tell you, you take your life into your hands, those of you that run or walk or, you know, you get out there, you're taking your life in your hands Uh, walking across these intersections. It doesn't matter what the sign says. (laughs) The sign can say walk, but if you step out in the intersection without looking, you could uh, easily get killed. And Paul is using this motif of walking to describe our lives. Now, not just our Christian lives. He's saying all of your life, before, after you're a Christian, and all humanity, everyone, in general, is living a life, and Paul says it's like a walk. It's like taking a walk. And there are places, and Paul is going to explain, where he says walk, don't walk, walk, don't walk. He's, he's telling us these things can kill you, they can bring you into slavery, they can ruin your life. And so, last week, we looked at these verses in the very beginning of the chapter. Look up if you have your your Scriptures. He says, I urge you to walk. Now he's saying I want you to walk. In a manner worthy of the calling to which you have called. And he says, here's what that walk's going to look like. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, You know, putting up with people, eager to maintain unity, and keeping the bond of peace. So he's saying, here's... The way that you walk. Now he's going to tell us, don't walk like this. He's talking about our lives. And let me read something to you by Dr. Ferguson. This is in his little commentary. And I thought this was so good because it's very easy for us to think, oh, okay, I get it, I get it. All Paul wants us to do is go from this way of walking to that way of walking, just change your behavior. Just change your lifestyle. Take a new path, a new direction. And while that's all good, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, you are required to alter your behavior. And you are required as a Christian to step on to a new path and to pursue a holiness, he says, and righteousness. But it's not just about that. Behavior modification is not the Gospel, right? Behavior modification is not the gospel. We can change your behavior by putting a collar around your neck with electrical shock. That is not the gospel. The gospel is about something much, much more that no religion in the world offers. Listen to what Dr. Ferguson says. The concepts here are bigger. Than simply saying we lived an old life, we now live a new life. In our new life, listen to what he says, because here's the key: in our new life in Christ, the destiny for which Adam was originally created will now come to fulfillment. In other words, Paul is saying some, or uh, uh, Ferguson is saying something about your life now is going to recapitulate or recreate or renew or restore the original order of the way the world was supposed to be made. In other words, it's walking a wrong way. It's going in a wrong direction. And all of you know that. I mean, all you have to turn on the news. Parts of the world are in chaos. Or just look honestly into our own lives. There are parts of our own lives that are often in chaos and we just don't know what really to do. And it's not just a matter of changing behavior. It's a matter of learning what is your real purpose. What is the real meaning of your life? And then embracing that new meaning. Letting it go down deep into who you are. And then living out of the fullness of that new identity. And Paul tells us how to do that. So it's, it's our new life in Christ. The destiny for which Adam was created will now come to fulfillment. Now here, listen to what Ferguson closes with. Clearly, clearly it takes a lifetime of work. A lifetime to work into our thinking, I love that, work into our thinking and our living, our thinking and our living, all the implications of this truth. We want a quick fix. We want to just pray the prayer and God to fix us and everything's going good. And we want to see the trajectory of our Christian life. Listen, young people, because you're going to go through all kinds of things. And those of us that are older, we already know and we're still learning it. You, you're, the trajectory of your life, folks, is not just getting better and better and better and better. You're going to have ups and downs, there's going to be times when you go sideways, there's going to be times when you actually crash and burn. There are going to be times of confusion, times of doubt, times of of struggle with temptation and sin. And Paul and Dr. Ferguson and me were all telling you, And I love being in that company, see that? No, the the idea is that you do not lose heart. That what you have embraced as a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you said, you know what, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, you have embarked on a journey, a long walk. It's going to take you places you probably never imagined. So, let's get into this. We'll see how far we go. This motif of walking. The motif of walking. And I'm going to break it down in these three ways just to help you remember. We're going to talk about, first of all, very quickly, we'll cover this briefly, the false self. The false self. Secondly, we'll take a look at the true self. We'll see how far we can get with that. And then finally, the new human, the new man, the new person. When we say man, we're using it, ladies, we're using it generically as human beings. The new person, the new man. So look very quickly at the false self. This is what I've been telling our Sunday school class and our theology class. A a, a good way to think about this old self is the old habituated self. The habits that you learned, the patterns that you grew up with, the way you were trained or the way you were brought up, that's one aspect of the habituated self. The other aspect of the habituated self is how you're wired and science as they learn more about behavior and more about psychology and more about DNA and the way that we're wired you know some of us are just wired a certain way I am wired to worry and I fret and I worry about everything V and I were talking this morning and and I was worrying about something and she had to correct me I mean I worry and worry some of you were were wired certain ways and we don't have time to go into all of that but a lot of times we don't know how we're wired. We have to learn those things. Other times we do know. And so I want to encourage you to think about that old self, what Paul is calling the old, the false self, the the habituated self. And he's saying don't walk like this. Look at what he says. Verse 17 Now I say and testify in the Lord. He's using his full, he's bringing to weight all of his apostolic authority here. He's saying, I'm telling you something not just as anybody, I'm telling you something as an apostle. This is not up for opinion or discussion. I'm urging you to do this. You must no longer, he uses an imperative, no longer walk like the Gentiles in the futility of your minds. Now he's talking to a bunch of Gentiles, but he's splitting off the Gentiles as a category that they would have understood as people who do not follow Christ and are not believers. He's saying don't walk like them in the futility of your mind. These words, futility of the mind, is this this, uh, useless, empty... Pointless ways, patterns of thinking. Patterns of thinking that do not help and do not produce any kind of result other than to put you into a state of confusion and disorientation. Saying don't do that. Stop thinking like that in the futility, the uselessness. Think of the rabbit trails that we run down every day concerning everything in our lives. We all claim most of you here would, would absolutely, most of you would swear that you believe in the sovereignty of God. Yes? But most of us don't really believe in the sovereignty of God. What do we believe in? The, so, the sovereignty of chance and the sovereignty of self. That's what we really believe in. Because when things spin out of control, and things go awry, or they don't go the way you expected them to go, we immediately begin to question a number of things. Instead of believing, you know what? God is sovereign. I can trust Him even with this terrible, what the Puritans used to call this dark providence. It's tearing me to shreds. I'm broken hearted, I'm complaining, I'm griping, I'm going to worry. Fine, fine, fine. But at the end of the day, you have to return to the belief that God is sovereign and He has your best interests in heart. And so the futility of the mind is going to go into all these rabbit trails running, looking at things that are not helpful. Look at the next one. He says in verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. This means that their reason and their decision making is in a fog. It's in the dark. Have you ever felt like that where you just seem like you can't, you're either paralyzed, you don't know what decision to make? It seems like there's no light. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I not? Should I do this? There's confusion and darkness and fog. And how do you overcome? Look, folks, think. How do you overcome darkness? What do you have to do? You flip on a light. Or you go to wherever the light is. If the light's over there and you're in the dark, you go there. If you're in a fog, you turn on fog lights. And Paul's saying, don't be darkened in your, there is light for you. And don't be alienated. These people, these Gentiles, he's describing this group, they're alienated from the life of God. That means their life is void of meaning. How many of us struggle? What is the meaning of my life? You know, we're here today and gone tomorrow. I'm getting older. Some of you are getting older. And, you know, we come to the end of our lives and we tend to think a little bit more about what did my life mean? In a generation, nobody is going to know that I existed. Walk around this beautiful building, and you will see name after name after name of prominent families in El Paso who are no longer here. And the only place that really you know their name is by looking here. Irwin and George Schwartz Social Hall. I mean, how would you know they existed? and another few generations, and even those things tend to fade and go away. The only thing that lasts is the thing that God holds for you. He keeps you in remembrance. And so we don't want to let uh, the life of God become something we take lightly. That's what gives you and I meaning. That's what gives us uh, purpose. Look at the next one. Because of ignorance, hardness of heart, callous sensuality greed impurity we don't have time to go into all that but it's a stubbornness an unwillingness to learn an unwillingness to listen an unteachability we talk about this a lot in our other in other classes it, it, the, the best thing for you to do for your christian life is to open your heart to be taught so that you can actually learn new things. And when I talk to people, sometimes I can see them glaze over. Because I don't want to hear that. I don't want to learn that new thing. And you, don't want, you, want to, you want to make sure that your heart is tender and soft. You don't want to learn bad things, but you want to learn things that will be good for you. And not have that callous unwillingness to learn. A numb insensibility and it creates what paul calls a slavery to appetites now he does point to sexual appetites and that's because these are very very strong he talks about sensuality and impurity sexual appetite is like hunger and thirst they're they're base appetites that can barely be controlled And so as you struggle with those, he's using the strongest language he can to say this is what it looks like to walk this way. You're in the dark. You're in a fog. Your life is broken. This is the human condition. This is everybody, folks. This is not them and us. This is everyone. Everyone starts out here. A lack of meaning, callousness, slavery is what defines us very often. But look at verse 20 and 21. This is where Paul does something really remarkable and you've got to catch it. Maybe mark it in your Bible or make a note of it. 20 and 20, says he says emphatic. He uses an emphatic uh, 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 way of saying this. But you have not learned Christ this way. You've not learned Him this way. Assuming, look what he says, assuming that you have been taught that you have been learned, that you have heard of him, been taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. He's saying you're not like that. Don't be like that. Listen carefully, folks. Don't be like that because you're not like that. He's he's throwing you back into your identity, saying here's how you really are. So don't be like that, like that old person, that old self. And the struggle between the old self and the new can be, can be just. Very discouraging and very difficult. And Hopefully I'll have time to get to a little bit of it. He's saying, look, the habituated self, that old person, is going to put up a fuss. He's not going to give up the ship just like that. Oh, stop doing that. Okay, fine, I'll stop doing that. No, you've grown up that way. Maybe you're even hardwired that way. He is going to put up, or she, that self is going to put up a fuss. And that's where the struggle is. That fuss that the old self puts up, but what the gospel promises, and what Paul says over and over, is this: Sin shall not have dominion over you. You do not live in a dualistic nature where you've got, you know, bad Chuck with an angel on uh, the devil on one shoulder, and good Chuck with the good angel on the other shoulder, right? A lot of us grew up with that kind of idea a dualistic idea of our nature, that our nature is somehow split, that we have two personalities one is the old man, one is the new man. the old man 's listening to the devil. the new man 's listening to uh, the gospel, hopefully, but we think that they both have the same force, and so you hear things like you know there 's two uh, here 's one that we talked about some months ago that I hear all the time uh, there 's two uh, wolves living in you, and you know whoever you feed which have you ever have anybody heard that one? whichever wolf you feed, that will be the strong one that will come that 's fine if you want to be uh, uh, in another religion, if you want to be Muslim or you want to be Buddhist or you want to be a Hindu, but in Christianity, that is not a good paradigm. Because what happened to the old man? Those of you that know that are Christian, what happened to the old? He died. He was crucified with Christ. And the new. If if you are here today and you are a believer in Jesus, you are a new creation. You have a new heart. You have a new nature. And the problem is that our thinking is distorted. He's saying, in the futility of our mind, what is more futile than saying, you know, good Chuck, bad Chuck, split personality, they're at war, and it just depends on, you know, give, give, you feed this one and he'll overcome this one, but you feed this one and he's going to overcome this one. What kind of a life is that? I'm already crazy enough. I don't need that. Right? I have enough problems. Don't add another layer of problems. So what is he saying? Paul says, here he doesn't say it explicitly, but in Romans he does. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the power of sin. You're dead to sin and alive to God, he says in other places. So therefore, sin is powerless over you but we do have a habituated self that likes to return to it and will often listen to it. And will often act on what we hear from that old habituated self. In other words, the old self, the old person, although he's dead, he, she is dead or powerless, he, she still has a voice. Yes? Still talking. The tape is still running, or now in modern days the MP3 is still running. The audio file is still running. And it's telling us things, telling us things. And we have to fight against it. That is what Dr. Ferguson was talking about. It's a lifetime. It's a walk. And sometimes you're going to listen to the wrong things and do the wrong. Other times you're going to listen to the right things and do the right thing. But all of it pleases God because He has created you to do that. If He didn't want us to do that, we'd have just gotten saved, got whatever you want to call that, saved, born again, new creature, whatever you want to call it, whatever name you want to put to it, and He would have just resurrected you right there, taken you to heaven, and that's that. But if, listen folks, if the world around you needs new creation, does everyone agree that the world around us needs new creation? Yes? Yes? How's it going to happen if we're not here, present, and if we are not the people on the forefront of that change? Do you see the logic? Do you see the reason why God left His people here? Sometimes to suffer, sometimes to die, but to work, work on ourselves, and work to make the world around us a better place. Do you see it? That's what it's for. That's why we're here. And so don't get discouraged because you are a work in progress. Uh, I hate to use that phrase, it's cliched. But because you are a work in progress, don't be discouraged. Don't hate yourself. Don't return to the bad thinking of self-loathing and health, self-hatred every time you are making a, a mistake in your life or committing a sin. Don't embrace it. Don't sin uh, that grace may abound, right? God forbid. But as your life progresses, as you walk, the true self, this is the second point, the true self needs to be formed and shaped. And that's what you're here for, is to shape that new self, the new man. And, the, and, and Paul says this, look at it, the basic shape of our walk are in three actions. 22, 23, and 24. Look at them. Put off, be renewed, put on. Put off, be renewed, put on. That is the basic shape of your Christian life. Now, how many of you have seen the little diagram I do with my drawing of the uh, Gospel renewal cycle? How many of you have seen that? We've done it over and over and over in Sunday school, in theology class. It's my favorite drawing aside from the Cone of Certainty. How many have seen the Cone of Certainty? Well, you love that one, right? Alright, the, the, the Gospel renewal cycle is basically this. Put off. Repent. Believe the Gospel. Put it off. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Repentance. Faith obedience, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man. Repent, faith, obedience. That cycle, all three parts of the Gospel renewal cycle, repentance, faith, believing the Gospel, and and, and new obedience, all of those are a complex, if you will, of putting off, being renewed, and putting on. That is our life. That is the Christian life. So you're going to have to be prepared. Paul is telling you, he's giving you fair warning. There are things in your life that are going to come up that he wants you to put off. He wants you to take them off. He uses uh, uh, different different uh, metaphors like clothing. He wants you to take them off and clothe yourself with other things. Okay? So he's saying this is the work that the Christian life... It's three actions... Put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life. He's not denying that it's there, but put it off. It's corrupt, he said, recognize its corruption. Deceitful uh, desires. The word desires in Greek is epithymia. It's a word that means an over desire. It's not just saying, you know, I want a cookie. Which I do. It's not that I want a cookie. It's that if I don't get the cookie, I will die. And I'll do everything I have to do to get the cookie. I'll lie, cheat, and steal to get the cookie. I'll pretend it has no calories. If I give Marivy V a bite, it has no calories. Do you, do you see what we do? Alright, that's, that's the point, what he's saying here. Is that there's going to be this, this shape, this putting off of these things. And there's going to be a renewal in the spirit of your mind... That means the patterns or the way you think about things is going to change. How you think about it. Let me put a Let me put a plug in. A shameless commercial for coming to church. Unless you're just an extraordinarily disciplined person, who just like me, if you're like me, extraordinarily disciplined, and you can spend the time every day in your Bible and studying and you've got all your commentaries and you've got all that and you're praying and you're listening to sermons all week long and you're just grinding. You know, the only shots you have at it, folks, is maybe a, a Sunday school or Bible study during the week and church. And I'm telling you, it's not enough. That's not enough. You really need more. Than just church. And maybe a Bible study. But if you don't have anything else. At least for goodness sakes. Come to church. Hear the word of God preached. It's different than an audio. Yes I told you a week ago. It's not the same thing. Because you're in community here. Hear the word of God preached. And then step up to this table. And taste it and see. A full experience of God's grace. It's really remarkable. And this is what Paul is telling us. There's a shape to your life that that the only way you can survive is putting off, being renewed in the spirit of your mind. That means having your mind, the patterns changed, and where you can really have the patterns changed is by listening to God's Word preached or read, however you want to do it. But in church, hopefully, you're being challenged to think differently. Not just think about other things, which is also included, but to think differently about those things. To think in a way that has to do in accord with the Spirit of God. Maybe we'll be able to go into more detail at another time. And then he says, put on, verse 24, the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That means you're going to actually, through the walk, through the process of transformation, become more and more godlike in your character. In other words, your character is going to take on the attributes of God, the communicable, what we call in theology communicable, those that you can actually have, like patience, love, joy, peace, love, patience, the fruits of the Spirit. Those are the things that your life will slowly start to transform in those ways. So let me just run through these three actions. And then he gives us, I think this is fascinating, seven imperatives. In other words, he said three actions and, and he gives us seven. Now, these are not the only seven. There's probably seven more somewhere else, seven more somewhere else. But he's just giving you examples of what putting off, being renewed, and putting on is going to look like. And I'll run through them. Maybe the next time we'll do them in more detail. He talks about... In 25, lying and speaking truth. In 26 and 27, he says, anger and restraint. Anger and restraint. Stealing and generosity. In 28, curses and blessing. How you use your words and speech. In verse 29, Uh, being contrary over against being humble. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And then this interesting one in 31, toxicity. I've called it toxicity. There's a toxicity of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. And he sets this one over against being kind and tender-hearted. And then the last one, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So let me finish. I, I, I will go back and look at these another time. I thought I would have... A chance to get to him but I'm not how do you live this new life well I think the key to living this is found first of all look at 20 and 21 and then at 32 he says this is not how you've learned Christ you've heard about him you've been taught in him as the truth as in Jesus and then 32 as God in Christ forgave you who Is he talking about? Who is he saying is the center focus of your life? If you're a Christian, if you've done what Dr. Ferguson says and you've made this commitment to follow Him, to walk after Him the rest of your life, the center point of your life, the fountainhead, if you will, of your life, is exactly what He says here. You've heard about Him, been taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus. Jesus Christ becomes the center of your life. And then He says, and you are to forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave you. How do you do it? You do it by looking back at Jesus Christ, who was the man. Listen, folks, he was the man who never lied. He never stole. He gave everything, even his own life. He was angry, but he did not sin. Nobody's eyes blazed with anger and wrath like Jesus Christ. But it was always anger. It was an anger that loves and not destroys. And we rarely, if ever, display that kind of anger. Jesus brought brought blessings, but was cursed instead. He was the most humble man that ever lived. And yet, the world turned on Him and talk about toxicity and tenderness, no one was ever so half so tender as Jesus Christ. And no one ever experienced the kind of hatred, clamor, and toxicity that He experienced. And so His request to you and I is simple and costs you nothing. It's simple and it costs you nothing. And that is simple, forgive, cost you nothing as God in Christ forgave you. What he's saying, what Paul is saying, is one of the most incredible statements in all the Bible. He's saying you can forgive because you are never required to pay for that forgiveness. Because somebody paid for you. You are utterly uncomfortable. Well, you don't know what that person did to me. Oh, really? What did they do to Jesus? And He's asking you to forgive not out of your own bank account, not out of your own hide, not out of your own soul. He's not asking you to forgive just because He said. He's asking you to forgive as God in Christ forgave you. That means every act of forgiveness, every act of love that God is requiring from us in this little church here at Christ the King, Every one of them. He's saying you can go if you're willing, if you're willing to do it. You can move to the inexhaustible and infinite and bottomless reserve, bank account, ocean, whatever you want to call it, of my forgiveness that was bought for you in Jesus Christ on the cross. And you can forgive anybody for anything if you will go there. If you have to pay, if you have to forgive them out of the largesse of your heart, what luck are you going to have with that? But if you can go to an inexhaustible well, if you're willing to do it, and let me tell you, going there can be painful. It's not easy. But if you're willing to go there, you can forgive anyone of anything. Because it is infinite and bottomless, because God so loved the world that He did what? He gave His Son. He created a bottomless well, folks, of love and forgiveness and tenderness and truth-telling and no needing to steal and no needing to prop up our identity with all of these other things. He gave us a place where we can go, not even a place, a person, where you and I can go that is bottomless and endless. And if you will just go there, Paul is saying, as God in Christ forgave you in Him, in Him, in Him. Jesus, in Him, everything is about Him. Go to that well and your life will take on a whole new meaning. You'll be freed, perhaps for the first time, from slavery. And when the slavery crops up and comes back again, you can go back to that well again and conquer the slavery again. Will you do it? I pray that You will. I really do. Let's, let's pray. Father, uh, wow, these are some tough things to consider because all of us have these wounded places in our heart that are so hard to imagine sometimes. And I ask You, Father, please, for the sake of Your Gospel and Your Son, Jesus, that You would work these things down deeply into our soul. Please help us. Please. Please. Help us to be more spacious. Help us to see the joy and the delight of going to that bottomless well of Your forgiveness and Your love for us and drawing up out of that true love, authentic forgiveness, real peace and joy that we can share with others as we are renewed. We can share that renewal with them. I pray, Father, You'll start that here at Christ the King. Help us to be a church like that Help us to be a people like that, I pray. We ask it in Christ's name that His name might be glorified forever. Amen.